and weird um i'm finally remembering this time at the top of the episode to say i want to have a big thank you a collective thank you for our patrons y'all help me make this podcast keep going keep growing um so yeah thank you emma m and emily d for being lovely patrons And this is just kind of like a bad signal if you really vibe with this podcast and you want to get extra access to me, (laughs) you can become a patron in our patron coven. So at the very bottom tier, you get two additional episodes per month. You would get to be added to the close friends where I share more about my life, where I share like who's coming on the podcast early you get kind of like voting privileges on things um in the second tier you get to ask a follow-up question for every episode via like the little like posts that we have in our patron coven portal and you also get um journaling like i hand make these like journaling prompts uh based off of one of the episodes per month And if you have the very top tier, you get all of that. Plus, um, you get one-on-one, once-a-month coaching with me. Um, It's like a group coaching, so everybody gets to meet each other and ask one question. And if you can't make it live, you can ask your question ahead of time. Um, On top of that, for the second and top tiers, you will get discounts on merch, which I asked a question a while ago on the Instagram story. So I am working, the most popular one was stickers. So I'm going to be working on a few sticker designs to have in the shop, as well as like some basic t-shirt designs to start off, but it's going to be like way more fun. (laughs) So yeah. And then um, if you're like, yo, I can't um, send you coins right now. That's cool. I totally appreciate reviews as well. Um, whether it's like sharing with your friends, um, you know, word of mouth is the, the most, I would say reliable way to, that I will at least listen to a new podcast. Um, but also like Apple podcasts that, you know, the more reviews we have, the more people will see it. And on Spotify now you can leave reviews as well. You don't have to write anything for those, which is pretty cool. So Yeah. And then now that we're moving into the episode, I do want to say there is going to be a content warning for this episode. I have mentioned in maybe a few other episodes that I want to get more vulnerable and share more of my story because I feel like, number one, as a three-fifths manifesting generator, this is part of my thing is to take what I learn and share it and turn it into like divine intuitive knowledge for other people to learn from, to be inspired from. But also, like, I feel like it's storytelling, right? Like, it's easier to understand things with the narrative. It's good for me, good practice for me to, um, for anybody who's gone through traumatic stuff to reclaim and take their power back by stating their story. 
So there is going to be a content warning for sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, there's going to be like some, I don't know what you would call this, like mentions of sex <laughs> and like triggering situations happening during that. So um, just know, like, I usually try not to get obviously like really, really graphic about like what happened, but everybody has their own safety zone. So I just wanted to let you know, just this episode will have more of that stuff because I am talking more specifically about my story. And speaking of safety, that's what today's episode is all about. So it's about cultivating safety in your life, which for me is cultivating safety in your mind and in your body. And of course, there's like all this noise outside. They're working on so many things in the apartment today. So hopefully it's not that loud on the recording. Um, but if I suddenly pause and then come back, you you know why. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Ooh, there it is again. Okay. I love being in a crowded city. I love it. Um, so I'm going to kind of tell this like as my story, like chronologically as my story. So you can understand like how I grew up because more likely than not, it's going to be similar to what you've experienced or be relatable in some way. So this will be like more of like narrative going through how I learned how to cultivate safety in my life. And then I'll talk about like what the things that I learned specifically and how you can do those things too. So what? Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me pause the recording. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. My boyfriend <laughs> was running to the store to pick up creamer. Um, he was doing errands. I asked him if he could pick up creamer. So he wanted to know what creamer to get because I use two different creamers. (laughs) Um, But what I was saying was, so when I grew up, like I, you know, I'm going to start in childhood and then work through all the way to where I am now. Um, Growing up, I used to think that safety was like a thing, like a tangible thing that you could possess. Um, Because like for me as a kid, And I grew up in a household where, number one, my bedroom door didn't shut. We had, like, a really old house that would always shift. So it would just never shut all the way. And then, of course, you know, like, I had parents that did not (laughs) respect boundaries. So it wouldn't have mattered anyways. Um, You know, we had four people sharing one bathroom, um, sometimes seven people sharing one bathroom, So it's like, I'm showering, somebody needs to use the restroom, I'm SOL, there's somebody in in my, like, in my shower space with me, right? Um, And, you know, the bigger ones, I had an emotionally abusive mother, never made me feel safe, never validated my emotions or my feelings, put me down, she was emotionally unavailable, um, and I had a sexually abusive step-parent. I don't really like calling him my stepdad, because I don't, like, I've mentioned that before, too. But, you know, like not that definitely did not make me feel safe in my home or in my body, right? Like my step parent, he is an alcoholic. So that was scary for me growing up. We had incidents around that and the sexual abuse. Like, you know, it was, it just makes you feel like not safe. Like I have to spend every day with my abuser 
and I'm sure some of you can relate to that, like, or have experienced that, it's just, you don't know what safety is. You're always on alert. You're always surviving. Um, And not having, like, one person in the home that you feel like, oh, I can trust them. I can turn to them. Like, for me, I had my dog, which is why I have him tattooed on my arm, because he is a literal angel, and he got me through my childhood. But, like, nobody else, right? In the household. So, and I just want to say, too, like, sharing some of this stuff makes me, <laughs> like, vulnerable or whatever. So, um, if my mouth is getting very dry and stuff like that, you know, just to know that's why. Um, and so, as a kid, like, I just thought, you know, like, the only way that I can feel safe is to get out of here, right? Like, once I remove myself from this situation, then I won't need to worry anymore about this feeling of unsafety because I won't be around these people. So immediately I'll feel safe, right? That will never be a problem for me once I'm out of this shitty situation. So when I, that's why I was like really motivated to go to college because I wanted to live on campus so I could get out as quickly as possible. That was like the only way that I knew how as a kid. So when I went to college, I thought like, finally, I'm out of that situation. I I'm in my own space where, like, most of it, like, I'm in control, right? Like, yeah, I had a roommate or whatever, but, um, you know, there wasn't, like, people, parental people there that made me feel unsafe. So, I kind of, like, realized, I mean, and admittedly, I did feel safer, right? Like, definitely, I knew that my nervous system wouldn't be constantly triggered by being around these people. That definitely created a different level of safety, an increased level of safety, right? And this is what we're going to kind of talk about throughout the episode is that cultivating safety is comes in layers. It's not only tangible things, but it's also intangible things. And so definitely like removing yourself from an unsafe situation is going to make you immediately safer, right? You're, um, but what we're talking about is like feeling safe in your body and in your mind. And sometimes removing yourself from the situation does not, this is what I'm going to illustrate in my story, is like, it's not the thing that makes you feel safe. It's not what actually makes you feel safe. So definitely I did have a new level of safety, right? Like I was in charge of my life. I didn't have other people around me consistently triggering me. Um, But then I kind of realized like, I still felt unsafe in my body. Like, and I at that point in my life, the only way I knew how to deal with my emotions was to disassociate or ignore them. So (laughs) that's what I did. Um, And then what happened was like my fear and my like safety issues or wounds, um, they started to come up in moments where I was extremely vulnerable. And that was with my partner, my current partner, Frankie. We met in college. And This happened specifically during sex because that was where I felt the most vulnerable as a person. Um, And I had no control over it. Like I, I couldn't control the feelings, the outbursts, the breakdowns that happened during those intimate moments because I wasn't connecting with my body and my emotions on a regular basis or in a non like heightened situation. So it just, it was bubbling over, right? It's at the very tippy top. And this is the thing that puts you over. So, you know, and because of my sexual trauma that I had from like 
my childhood and from some other people, I, and I want to comment about this, like this like thing that insight that I had, I didn't learn this until like, like a year ago. (laughs) So in the moment I didn't know this, but I'm sharing like, this is actually what was going on for me. Right. So I would have these breakdowns. Basically we would be like having sex and randomly I would start crying and then I would just feel like confused because I wasn't used to tapping into my body and my emotions. I was like, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what's going on. I'm just crying and I feel weird and icky. I'm like, I don't want to have sex anymore. Right. Um, and I didn't realize that on paper, I knew I could trust Frankie. Like he's good. Like he hasn't done anything to show me he couldn't, I couldn't trust him, but my body could not differentiate the difference between him and my abuser because what I learned from my past trauma and abuse was like men can't be trusted and that's what my body internalized and so anytime I was vulnerable around a man I would like my nervous system would be triggered and I would have some kind of reaction right that I couldn't control or I didn't feel in control of and that's the insight that I learned like last year (laughs) um and so you know this I was already going to therapy at this this time in college. And so I started bringing this up in therapy saying, you know, like, I don't know why. It was just a bunch of confusion. I don't know why this is happening, but it just keeps happening. And it, and I, I've tried to think about, is there a pattern or something? And it just feels so random and I, I can't control it. And so, you know, in therapy, I learned like observing the behavior for patterns. So that's like one step that you can do as well, you know, besides removing yourself from a physically unsafe situation or from people that are abusive or unsafe to you. The next step is to start observing your behaviors in your body or what your body is telling you for patterns. So I found through that, through like slowing down and, you know, speaking with my partner and letting them know that this is something that I'm working on. I learned that there were specific words that would trigger me or specific like scenarios or whatever that would trigger me and cause me to break down. Um, So then once I knew that, we tried to like avoid those things or I was able to like, you know, make more spaciousness for myself. This was definitely a way that I learned to like kind of like reclaim my power that it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not doing anything wrong. This is like a byproduct of what happened to me. And so that gave me a lot more spaciousness to be like, it's okay to have this feeling. Like before I was confused and I was upset and I felt like I was, you know, doing something wrong because a lot of us, especially if you grow up in a female body, you learn that if you don't please the man or your partner or whatever, that it's like, like a, that's part of your duty. So when you don't do that, you feel bad. And it's not that my partner created that <laughs> environment. That's kind of like the internalized like male gaze thing, the patriarchy that we have. So I would blame myself. Oh, I ruined sex. I'm the one who ruined, you know, sorry, I ruined it, you know, like that type of thing. So I was able to give myself more spaciousness and be like, it's okay that I'm having this reaction right now. And Before, I used to just try and, like, power through it and not say anything or, like, cry silently um, or be like, no, no, it's fine. Like, after I just had, like, a huge crying outburst and be like, let's continue having sex, you know, it gave me the space to be like, okay, I don't, I don't 
feel like I want to have sex anymore. Um, or to be like, we need to stop, you know, like I'm feeling, I started to, um, be able to connect with my body more to feel when it was going like building up when it was, when I could feel like the tears and like the sadness in my throat. And so I was like, we need to stop. I need to take a few breaths. Right. So this was kind of like the first step that I started to take for like, listening to my body and having greater sense of embodiment so that I can like understand when my body was feeling unsafe and when I was feeling unsafe. So that's like definitely like a huge, like that takes a lot of practice, right? Especially for somebody like me, like I learned to disassociate from all of my feelings and my emotions and my body because of my past trauma. So that's definitely something like I would recommend for you is like taking time to observe it the pattern to find to to find the pattern um to listen taking time to listen to slow down to be more present as much as you can in your body to recognize these things that are coming up instead of just like pushing through them ignoring them you know invalidating them like giving them valid space to say, like, it's not my fault. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just a thing that's happening. You know, like, whatever resonates with you and whatever belief sits better with you at the moment, you know, if you just need to remove the kind of situation from yourself and be like, this is just a thing that's happening and that's fine. Or, you know, like, I'm I'm experiencing this right now and it's okay. It's not my fault. You know, sometimes it takes a while to get from the first one to the second one. So that was very big, like first steps. And that I practiced for a while, right? Like, and, and it did alleviate the bigger outbursts, but it didn't get rid of like the feeling of unsafety in my body. And it didn't stop that completely, right? Like that still happened for years. And so after college, I like had my like spiritual awakening. Um, I was healing less in the therapy, traditional therapy sense. And I was healing more. I learned about embodiment, um, like somatic healing. And I was doing different types of methods for that. I was on my intuitive journey. I was becoming like psychic and all this stuff. So out of that, you know, after college, I was living on my own and I had the space to myself and that, you know, is definitely a privilege. Oh my gosh, sorry. (laughs) That's definitely a privilege um, that not everybody gets is to live on their own. And I think that it's something that is very, I don't know, like not that everybody needs to live on their own. For me, it was really freeing. It was really empowering to understand how I am without anybody around. That's kind of what I'm saying is like you get to fully cultivate a space and to understand what feels completely comfortable for you and safe for you. And so that was just something that I got to do for myself Um, when I, I lived on my own for like two years. And I don't know, like I just that was a scary time for me because I was a female bodied person and, um, (laughs) you know, like I watch true crime. I love horror movies. Um, I have an overactive imagination. I've always been like this since I was a child, you know, like the blankets are a monster type of thing. And 
that not only did I have, you know, like I was working through like sexual stuff, like safety with being vulnerable, but then living on my own, it was like, okay, now I'm unsafe. Like I would always be thinking like somebody could come into my house at any time and murder me. Somebody could come into my house and like rob me or something, you know, like that's kind of where I started to see like, and I had this really big shift of like, safety really isn't a thing. Like I didn't live in an unsafe neighborhood. I didn't live in an unsafe building. I had no like practical, logical examples or red flags that would have caused me to feel unsafe. But yet I still was living in the mindset that I was unsafe. And so I heard, I can't remember, it was, it was you know, a while ago now. But I heard this like um, description, this like new way of looking at what safety is, and it really changed a lot for me. And they were basically saying that safety is like a state of mind. It's a belief. It's a feeling. It's not a thing. And that was like a big like shift for me of realizing that safety isn't a thing because for so long I was just thinking, if I do this, then I'll be safe. If I have this, then I'll be safe. If I, you know, this, then I'll be safe. And it, and then I kind of learned, you know, through my story, through my experiences, like I still didn't feel safe. It's like you have a space all to yourself. Nobody else is here. Nobody else is going to say or do anything. Still felt unsafe. You know, like I'm out of the space where I grew up with people that I didn't feel safe around, but I still feel unsafe. You know, like I understand why I'm having these, you know, vulnerable reactions to my trauma in present day, yet I still felt unsafe. So This definitely opened up a lot for me because it really allowed me to see like it is, it's, it's a feeling like safety is a perceived feeling. It's an intangible thing. And that's why I said earlier, in order to feel safe, you can do physical and intangible things, right? Like we talk about, like, you definitely will feel safer if you live in a space without people who are abusive to you, where you physically are safe. But that doesn't mean that it removes the nervous system response, the triggers and the trauma from your body. So when I started seeing safety as like, it's a belief, it's a feeling, the example that they were using was like, you know, like in the most realistic sense, like that I can tell you, it's like people, some people go to sleep at night. Like I was saying, I moved into my apartment and I still had all these weird intrusive thoughts, right? At any moment, somebody could come in and I need this and any of this, right? And so, you know, some people go to safe at night, go to sleep at night feeling safe, regardless. Like maybe it's like one we'll say like in this what's the word for in this hypothesis, right? Like same exact living conditions, like you know, same safety of neighborhood, it person A, person B. What this person, person A goes to sleep feeling completely safe in their home. Person B does not. And you know, that's that shows that like no matter if it's the same living conditions the same environmental conditions like they both have security systems they both live in a safe neighborhood they both have like good locks on their windows and their front door and there's nobody like trying to get them like it really shows that like it is a state of mind because the reality of it is anybody could break into anybody's home right like that's like probability or like randomness right like just because we feel safe doesn't mean those things never happen to us um 
and I'm not saying this like as like a scary like tactic thing. I'm saying it as the reality of like the probability is like it could happen to anybody um, in theory, right? And like, even if you feel safe, it doesn't stop that from happening to you. That's kind of what I'm saying. And so I'm trying to use this as like an illustration to say like, it is about how we feel and how it sits in our body and how we feel in our mind. Because like, you know, you can get, um, oh yeah, the example that I was going to say that I wrote down, I'm like looking at my notes, is like similar to things that we talk about in witchcraft, like manifestation. They tell you like, in order to call in abundance or like wealth, you need to feel abundant, right? Like you need to feel rich. And then you, what you're doing is you're vibrating on that frequency and then you can call it in, right? Like that's like one way that people talk about manifestation. And so that's kind of like what I'm trying to illustrate is like, if you feel safe, then you will be safe, but it doesn't matter as much about the physical stuff like it's like a weird like double or two-sided coin where I'm like the physical stuff definitely matters right like being in a safe space um being surrounded by safe people but you can still feel unsafe even in that that's kind of what I'm illustrating hopefully this is making sense um and so like you know I've seen this in movies before where it's like you have a security system in your home so you feel safe you feel like nothing is going to hurt you. Then somebody breaks into your home and all of a sudden, like you've experienced a trauma. Now you feel unsafe and it takes you a while to re return back to that state of feeling safe and like nothing's going to happen to you. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to illustrate in this is like, I got to that point where I was realizing like, I still feel unsafe yet all the physical things now are perfect right like in theory everything around me is safe my all the like the physical trappings I've done that but yet I'm still feeling unsafe in my body I'm still feeling unsafe in vulnerable times or intimate times with my partner what is going on like something has got to give right and this is why I'm a big proponent of embodiment that like true healing when you've gone through stuff like this only happens when we're incorporating mind, body, spirit, or soul, whatever you believe in, right? And so I I did the mind part, like practically everything is good, but I wasn't doing the body part. And so I needed to sit down with myself and to do that healing, to release, to show my body that it's okay to release this. It's okay um, to feel unsafe. And then, you know, when you, when you make that space, then it kind of like sheds off, like the feeling of unsafety sheds off because there's not a lot of pressure. So I would definitely say like one thing that you can do is to try and remove the pressure as much as possible. You know, if you're rushing somebody to do something to, to be something really quickly, it's going to be sloppy. <laughs> um, they're not going to get there, you know, in the way that they want to. So don't give yourself a lot of pressure to feel safe right away. Why am I feeling like this? Like don't, as much as you can, try not to create judgment and know that you're just where you are and you're dealing with the reality that has happened to you. And that's why I said like the observing part is, helps you to give yourself that space. Like it's okay. It's just a reaction that I'm having, My a reaction that my body is having, right? Like I think that understanding that point of like it is a nervous system reaction like at our very core we're like we're similar to animals we learn something this is bad for our survival and then we 
we incorporate that because our genetics <laughs> programs us to like survive, right? Like in the, the scientific sense, survival means like procreating and passing on your genetics to other generations. And so we learn what is safe and unsafe and we 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 take that to we program it into our body into our cells and our dna that like if you touch the fire you get burned so now we just we know that now that we learned that lesson so we don't touch the fire because we want to survive right like we want to live pass on our genetics and move on and i'm not saying like everybody's having kids or whatever i'm just saying that as like an evolutionary like scientific thing like that's how we're built right like that's how all animals are built that's why the animals that are smarter they survive the ones with like the advantageous mutation they survive because nature you know that's how nature works so that's kind of like how our body works where it's like if i've experienced this thing and now i'm learning like that is unsafe so i'm never going to do that again or i'm going to try and avoid that situation as much as possible in order to stay safe. So literally understanding even the scientific reason for why your body is holding on to this trauma, holding on to this like memory um, and, and, and then acting in that way, it's going to give yourself like a lot more spaciousness and graciousness so that you're not blaming yourself. Like, why am I still holding on to this? What's wrong with me? Why am I so affected by this? Like, it's literally just your body acting in the way that it is designed to act, to respond. So give yourself like that ease and know that like your body's just literally doing its job. Like it's this, it's trying to help you survive. <laughs> and so it's going to have these reactions. And now what it is, is about creating that relationship with your body, cultivating safe spaces in your body and in your emotional system, like your nervous system, that's going to be the next step for creating safety and healing from that, right? So we've talked about this too on the podcast before. I feel like that's like one of the mottos is like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So some people it's hard to attack those big traumatic incidents. Um, especially by yourself. Like if you're not working with, I would recommend, you know, saving the bigger stuff for working with a professional like me or somebody else that you vibe with and you trust. Like it's harder to do it by yourself. You shouldn't have to. Number two, you shouldn't have to do it by yourself. Like who, like that's <laughs> hyper-independence is a product of trauma, right? So like you don't have to do it by yourself. So like why not have somebody help you? Um, it's going to be easier, faster, better, more positives for having a professional help you. Um, but you can, it is a lot easier to do the smaller things, right? Like some of these bigger things might be blocked out of our mind, too traumatic for us to revisit. Um, we don't know how to sort through them on our own because we never learned proper coping mechanisms, you know, like, so doing the smaller stuff, I always recommend starting with smaller stuff. And that's why I bring up the thing, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Because some people think like, yeah, yeah, I want to get to the big thing. I want to tackle the big thing. But sometimes you need to build up to that thing. Sometimes you need practice in the smaller things. And to remember that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you're showing your body in the smaller, minuscule things that maybe quote unquote aren't as important or quote unquote like aren't as big of a deal, you're still showing your body that even in these smaller moments, I'm tr I'm creating safety for you. I'm trusting you. I'm listening to you. I'm validating you. And so your body, the more times that you can do that, the more your body is going to learn, right? Like it takes repetition, um, especially in our body to learn a skill, to learn it, to memorize a thing. So 
the more you show, the more chances you get to show your body um, that it's safe, then the, the easier it will be when you get to the bigger stuff because you've had a familiarity, you've built up a practice or a way of doing it and understanding even, right? Like if you've never communicated with your body or connected with your body in the present moment or in a, in a space that you already weren't like, you know, super triggered and your body was like speaking out like how I would have these breakdowns during sex, like it's going to be harder for you to connect to your body if you don't have like a, a history of listening to it. Um, so next, like what I'm kind of like getting to and framing up for is for doing the smaller things in creating safety in your body, right? So some of these smaller things, and I do want to say some of these smaller things can be really triggering. So one of the things that I did that I thought, oh, this is going to be easy um, starting out, <laughs> wrecked me, freaking wrecked me all. Like um, when you like gaze at yourself in the mirror, when you like look at yourself in the mirror, like for me, it was hard to be in my body. I had like body dysmorphia as well. So like witnessing my body in a way that was neutral or positive as opposed to the only time I'm aware of my body is when I'm having a negative experience, right? So creating safety means tapping in and creating spaces and moments and environments of safety that when you're not triggered, right? So looking at yourself, connecting with your body, that's going to be a great way to first start to connect with your body is to like look at yourself in the mirror. You can do it naked. You can do it fully clothed. Um, you know, doing it clothed at first is easier. Um, and usually just like looking in your eyes, like looking in your eyes is going to like force you to be present with yourself and to be aware of yourself. Like you'll become like hyper aware of how you feel and you'll immediately be connected to that and you'll probably have an emotional release. Um, another way to connect with your body is to practice doing like a body scan every day. So it's like closing your eyes, breathing in deep. Um, a good trick is to breathe in for four seconds and out for five. So if you breathe out, longer than you breathe in that's actually a nervous system regulation tool so you can like calm down your body um by breathing in for four and out for five um or you know like if you can't breathe in breathe in for three out for four whatever <laughs> you know as long as the exhales is longer um so doing a body scan you close your eyes taking deep breaths just start like bringing your awareness back to your body, like start with your toes and kind of like scan all the way up, noticing every single part of your body. That is going to be a great way too to connect with your body. So you can give it the space to be more, um, to speak up to you and to, you have more intention about how am I feeling in my body right now? Right. So the, as you do this, now you can have an intention to tap in or when you're starting to feel triggered, you can tap in to see where it is, in your body and where you're holding this and then you can breathe into it send it like source energy every time you breathe in giving it space giving it attention and validation instead of ignoring it um or disassociating from it okay so i have to take a break <laughs> and then i'll come back and my mouth is already getting dry anyways okay so i was starting off with just simple ways that you can connect and start to feel more embodied because the reality is 
you know, all of us are coming from different points, um, different places um, of recovery, healing, trauma, experience. So I wanted to start with like the very simple ones. Um, you know, some of you might be like, I'm already in tune with my body. I have like a practice that I use to, you know, become embodied. Um, so that's just kind of like the caveat is like, this is for people like me when I started off, right? I didn't have a familiarity with connecting and being centered and present in my body. And so I had to build that trust and that practice over the course of years um, to get to the point where I am now to be comfortable and to be familiar with that. So those are practices that you can do to start showing your body like it's okay to be present. It's okay. I'm here to communicate with you and I'm here to listen to you, right? Because in order to feel safe, much like any other healing that I do, like inner child healing or ego, you know, wound work and things like that, like there needs to be a precedent before that says like, I am here to listen to you and I'm showing you this, right? Like you, most of healing in my experience, um, it's about being validated and being heard. So creating that baseline, uh, that's what creating, at least for me, a safe space is about, is a space where somebody knows that they won't be judged, they'll be heard, they'll, they're not, you know, they'll be validated. So creating that connection with your body, with different embodiment practices, you know, I just listed a few. There's plenty of other ones that you can do. I personally prefer ones that are slower paced. I know that like working out, like exercise, like dancing is a way to become embodied. But when you're doing it for healing, for me specifically, like I like to do like slower stuff that requires more intimacy with my body. Like if I'm dancing and don't get me wrong, I love dancing to get in my body, but that's like more so to get out of my head and to like move my body. But it, it doesn't really prompt me to be aware of my body and to connect and ask it, like, how are you feeling? What feelings are we holding right now? So I tend to like to do like slower paced stuff, like maybe slow stretching with deep breathing, like yoga style stretching. Um, if I'm trying to connect with my body on a more intimate level, especially if I want to, you know, find out emotional things about myself um, and I'm doing like healing in that way I like to do like slower like deep breathing um, stretching doing staring in the mirror um, into your eyes um, doing you know full body scans like different things like that will help you know some people are different like sometimes I need to do like a workout type style thing so that my body feels tired because of my ADHD then I'm able to focus better so you know, that's just a few different examples. (laughs) Um, So now we're going to go into like the smaller things. So now looking at your life, like many of us do a lot of things and it's not bad. We're kind of like programmed to do this by society and whatnot. But like we do a lot of smaller things that show our body that it's not safe that it's not a safe space, that we're cultivating for it. So now you can look at micro level things um, that you do that maybe show your body like it's not safe or micro level things that you can do to show your body that it's safe. So whatever feels easier for you, whatever comes to mind first when I'm talking about these things. So what I mean by this is instead of 
sitting on the couch and watching TV, um, maybe you're a little bit cold. Maybe you're a little bit thirsty. Um, maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable, but for some reason you're just like sitting in this position. <laughs> Those are very micro level ways that we're showing our body like you don't get to be fully comfortable. You don't get to be fully safe, right? Like there's different versions of safety. Um, comfortability is like a really easy one that I notice. Like how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? Like why am I just sitting here slightly uncomfortable? Um, maybe I still have like my shoes on. Um, I'm a little bit cold and there's a blanket five feet away from me. And I've been thirsty for the past 30 minutes, but I haven't drank any water. <laughs> you know, those are very micro level ways that we don't necessarily always connect that that's what I'm showing my body is like, you're uncomfortable in a few different ways right now. And that doesn't matter to me. Like this, this is not a priority, right? So if we take that extra whatever 30 seconds to drink some water, to take off our shoes, to reposition and put on a blanket, we're creating a safe space, right? Because what we're doing is saying, I'm listening to you body and I'm hearing that you're thirsty. I'm hearing that you're uncomfortable and I'm hearing that you're cold. So now I'm going to take action to validate you and to acknowledge you and to correct that so that you can feel more comfortable, right? So these are like very simple things that we can do they're a little bit harder to catch in the moment because at least for me, I've, I've grown up in a space where I, in a life, I guess, in a childhood where I learned like, you don't get to have what you want. You don't get to be comfortable. You don't get to be safe. You don't get all of these things, right? Like you don't get to have your desires, blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. So the more like as time went on, I just got used to not acknowledging these things, not listening to these things. And some of them are really simple. So now it's a little bit harder for me to catch myself in the moment. But once you start doing it, it becomes a lot easier to catch yourself. Now I do that. So, you know, what are other ways and things, examples that safety means to you? And how can you create that? How can you bring that in? Right. So if safety means comfortability for you, like that's, you know, the example I just said, if safety means like um, a cozy environment or something like mood lighting, you know, candle diffusers, um, you know, relaxing music, um, a bath, right? Like, does that make you feel safe? You know, checking in with your body and thinking about things from your childhood that made you feel safe. Like we had security blankets when we were younger, right? Like maybe that's something we incorporate. Um, you know, for me being in water makes me feel safe for some reason, because I'm a water sign probably. But, you know, being in the bath was one of the first times that I started doing this. So like just being like putting my ears under the water and breathing and listening to my heartbeat and my breath under the water made me feel very safe. Um, being surrounded by warm water made me feel safe, right? So if, you know, a lot of people have like a comfort food, like that makes people feel assured and safe because it reminds them of something, right? So when I was sick, my mom would always get us matzo ball soup. So like, now, like, that's like a comfort food for me. So there can be certain things that you kind of already know that make you feel safe. Like for me, hugging my dog, like when my boyfriend and I first moved in together and the first few nights I had a panic attack because I was like, I'm sleeping next to a man. My body was like, yo, I don't feel fucking safe because now it's final. Like my boyfriend would spend the night when I had my apartment for myself. But like when we moved in, it was like, oh my God, I'm freaking out because 
there is a man that is going to be sleeping next to me. What the fuck? Like, and I acknowledged that. And so I was like, you know, I took some time to cry or whatever and like say something about it. But then I was like, I'm going to put my dog in the bedroom with us because she makes me feel safe because I know I can trust her. And I was like hugging her and like petting her to help like my nervous system calm down. So that can be like a a symbol of safety for you, right? So looking at things that you already know that make you feel safe um, or, you know, trying out different things to see what makes you feel safe and trying to like incorporate that in as a practice or a behavior that you now do. Um, You know, like, and some of this stuff might not seem like it fully relates, but intuitively, like what I'm getting right now, like, you know, I used to fall asleep on the couch and stay up super late watching TV. And, you know, that's showing my body that it's not a priority. And for people, like being a priority makes them feel safe, right? So what can we do to show our body that they're a priority? So now I make it a point to like try to, um, I mean, I've been doing pretty good at it, but like, you know, going about at a decent time um, or like choosing to turn off the TV, go upstairs, wash my face, brush my teeth and go into bed, you know, as opposed to just falling asleep, like not brushing my teeth, not washing my face, like waking up feeling sore because I slept on the couch or whatever. Like those are micro, very micro ways that actually do make a difference when they add up because you're saying like, hey body, I'm taking care of you. I'm putting you first. I'm acknowledging you, right? Like how many times you get up and you don't, you like forget to, you don't make time to eat or like, oh, I'm too busy to eat or do this, right? Like that's a common like American capitalist thing. Like eating and taking care of our body is like the tertiary priority as opposed to like working. So like doing things like that, um, you know, maybe safety feels like feeling authentic, you know, taking extra time to get ready and to make yourself feel good um, in a way, you know, like how you present yourself. Maybe that makes you feel more safe because you feel more confident or because you feel more true to who you are. Um, so think about different ways that safety can show up for you. And maybe like think a little bit outside of the box, like how I was saying, like prioritizing. If somebody makes me a priority, I guess the best way to think about this or the easiest way to think about this is like, if I was dating somebody, what would I want them to do to make me feel safe? What kind of partner would I want that would make me feel safe? And then do those things for yourself. (laughs) Like, of course, like finding a partner that makes you feel safe, but like, don't put that on your partner. Don't put that responsibility solely on your partner. Right. Like, like I'll give examples. Like for me, like being listened to being validated, like feeling like I'm, I'm valued, my voice and my opinions are valued and they're actually implemented. That makes me feel safe because like, I know that the person cares and they're putting in effort and they're actually listening to me. Right. Like obviously like the physical safety, like, you know, feeling like they're not going to control me or how, you know, try and be possessive or things like that. Like that makes me feel safe. Um, But maybe there's like smaller things like cuddling with them makes me feel safe. So, you know, create like a really cool cuddling experience for yourself. Like get a big pillow, get like a bunch of blankets, like do different things like think about like what you would want your partner to do that would make you feel safe and like try and incorporate those for yourself and in the micro level you know like maybe it's a bigger bigger um 
like scenario or whatever. Like, um, I want a partner who holds space for me, who listens to me, who I can cry, you know, into their arms or whatever, like, like bigger kind of like, I want an emotionally supportive partner and that's going to make me feel safe. Right. So how can you emotionally support yourself? Right. So maybe you don't make enough time or you don't make time at all to like cry and journal and get that out and to actually hold space for yourself. So the more you do that for yourself, the the safer you're going to feel, right? Like um if you like you were saying like you want somebody to listen and like support you emotionally, like how can you support yourself emotionally? Are you listening to when you're feeling upset? Are you listening to when you you feel like you need boundaries? Are you listening to when you need to take a rest, right? Like those are all micro ways that we can start listening to our body to show it like it's safe for you. Um, the other thing that I learned from, I always forget these people's names. <laughs> um, I want to say it was Julia Phoenix, um, which I've been thinking about bringing on the podcast. Um, but they were saying like, no, it was, it was a different person. It was a different person. Um, they're saying like, for, for a lot of people, like, because it is nervous system work, it's like stuff in your body, having a practice or a like specific tangible thing that you use to make you feel safe. Um, this is like, especially for like, maybe, I mean, not especially, but this was the example that they were using was for like, excuse me, um, like sexual time, they said like buy a really soft blanket and every time you're going to have like intimate relations with yourself or with your partner, put down the blanket and that blanket now becomes like the quote unquote sex blanket or whatever. But like what you're doing is you're creating a physical like um, uh, feedback loop that's like when my body feels this texture of this blanket or sees the blanket that it knows that it's time for like sexual stuff that it was kind of like a way for you to like switch so that you can be in your body and know like this is the space that's right now right like this is a safe space for me or this is a sexual space for me whatever your intention is right in this example that they are giving so that can be something that you can incorporate as well like this is a ritual or a thing that I have that when I pull this out when I use it when I turn this music on when I make you know like put this smell in the diffuser this signifies to my body that the intention I set you know that this is now my safe space the safe space has opened right um so maybe that's like creating familiarity and routine helps people make um, helps your body feel safe right structure makes people feel safe like I'm sure you may have heard like they talk about like the divine masculine what they do is create structure and and like order and safety for the divine feminine to flow and move unencumbered right so that's kind of what you're doing is you're you're creating like a tangible thing that signifies to your body like once I turn on this diffuser blend my safety blend that now I can journal and I'm in my safe space right like um once I put out like my like I do this like I'll have like blanket have like water have like music maybe going like that signifies to me like now I'm going into my safe space so 
that's another thing that you can do is, especially if you're neurodivergent, if you have like ADHD, like I learned this, that like people with ADHD, it's really important for us to have like physical things that signify a change of pace throughout the day. So like if you make your coffee every morning and then you sit down to work at your computer, that becomes like a a signifier for your body. Once you smell the coffee, once you sip the coffee, now it is time for work. Like that's literally how our ADHD body, because like people with ADHD, they have trouble transitioning into different like parts of the day or different activities. Like our mind has trouble transitioning. So if we create a physical transition point of like, now when I sip this coffee, I'm at work. That's, that's another like thing that can help you is like, now when I turn this diffuser blend on, now when I pull out this blanket, now when I put on this playlist or this song, that's a physical like transition for me to know like, this is now my safe space, right? So thinking about like cultivating things that make you feel safe, like I said, like kids, we, we like plushies, we like, um, uh, what was it? Security blankets, like things like that. Like I have my dog, like maybe stuff from your childhood that made you feel safe, um, stuff that makes you feel safe right now and play around with it, right? Like you might not know the answers the entire, you know, like right off the bat took me a while and it changes over time too. Um, so that's also something that you can do is to create your own ritual. That means like now this is my safe space. Um, and then what you, you know, like the practice, the repetition, like cultivating a, I like to call them, I mean, it's not really like an exit strategy, but that's kind of like what comes to mind is like, um, like post care, right? Like, what if I am feeling triggered? What if I am feeling unsafe right now? Cultivating a, maybe a ritual or a practice or like, something that you can do that helps to return you to feeling safe, right? That helps to, when you're like, let's say um, in the example that I was giving, like when I was in my apartment, I still felt like people were going to like come in and like murder me at any time. So what is like a practice when that thought process comes up and my body starts to get, um, my nervous system starts acting up that I can say it's okay. It's actually okay, right? Um, so some people like saying certain stuff helps them like depending upon how like intense the trauma is like, no, actually you're okay. Like you, you live in a safe neighborhood. You have like good security system in your apartment. You have a, like a knife over here and a bat over here, (laughs) you know, like different things, right? Like some people that work, some people like, um, you know, in that example, I also use like physical things. Like I have this physical thing that represents safety to me from intruders, a knife. So I keep the knife by my bed. Maybe that just makes me feel safe enough, right? Like remember you have your like exit strategy thing or whatever. So that's one way that you can like do that. You can have those practices. Like I was saying, like breathing in for four counts, breathing out for five counts. That is a nervous system regulation tool right? So maybe you start, you take some time and you do deep breaths. Um, There's this other practice I learned from L. Ingalls, which is um, like when we start to sense our body going into like the adrenaline, like fight or flight response based out of fear, um, there's like a, like a small, like 
I think it's like a 30 second window where if you do like a full, like large body movement, you'll trick your body and into thinking like everything is fine and it won't release the adrenaline. So like full body movement means like jumping jacks, like it has to be like big in the arms, you know, um, type of movement, like doing windmills or something like big ecstatic dances, not little ones that can trick your body, your nervous system into being like, I actually, everything is okay. I don't need to like release all this adrenaline into my body. Um, so maybe doing, having like a practice for you that like physically you're working with your nervous system. Like maybe when this starts to happen, I drink hot water, right? Like to calm my, like for me, whenever I drink like hot tea, like that calms me down. That makes me feel super calm. I, maybe it's like the similar thing with like the hot bath water, right? Um, so having like certain, um, practices, like maybe your partner, like always like rubs the back of your neck and that makes you feel safe. So rub the back of your neck, pretend it's your partner, right? Like it's okay to like recreate these things, um, for ourselves if we can. Right. Um, and then like some people, they like to have like specific, like examples, like locked and loaded. Like maybe you have like a notes thing writing out examples of like times that you were safe so that you can think of them, your safe space, you know, like if it's like, it depends on what your like thing is, right? Like if it's an overreaction or if it's like a legitimate triggering trauma, like, like experience. Um, so that's why I said like using these at your own discretion type of thing, like if try it out, see if it works for you. Like sometimes when we're in this kind of like state it is hard for us to think about things and it's hard for us to like think logically. Um, Like I've, you know, communicated this to my partner. Like when I'm in this state, like I can't trust you. Like I can't rationalize things. Like you need to over communicate with me because I can't figure out what's going on because I'm just trying to maintain myself. Right. So writing out things, um, and having them at the ready for you to just read for maybe you to listen to. Maybe you like create like a voice memo that's like very calming for yourself. Maybe you have a guided meditation that somebody made that's like calming for you. Um, and, you know, communicating with the people around you too. I never brought that up, but that's a good one, right? Like letting people know where you're at so that you feel safer when these things happen because there's like a stigma about like, I can't let anybody know. I can't be like this around somebody. It's like, if they already know, then it takes out, like, I don't need to worry about that part. They already know. Um, maybe they can help you, right? Like as you're getting through it, if you are around other people. Um, and then like, of course, we always come back to this, like doing the deeper work, right? Like doing the smaller stuff is going to get you pretty far. Um it's going to make good progress for you. But now we need to, now that we've cultivated more connection with our body, more embodiment, more intention, more graciousness, we need to do the deeper work. So having connection, um, healing connection with some, like a professional, I always recommend, um, that's what I do with people. I help them do trauma healing, do inner child healing, um, removing trauma from their body, um, with like energy healing and things like that. And with, you know, like, actual therapy practices. Um, but yeah, like, is there a practitioner that you want to work with that you have worked with that you like a therapist, an EFT practitioner, someone like me, like a coach or somebody, um, 
doing and addressing the deeper work is going to really make the biggest impact. But that's, I really feel like you need to have that baseline of connection with your body. Otherwise, it might just be really triggering for you to do it. And also for you to do it by yourself, if you don't know the proper, like, coping mechanisms or proper procedures or process. And, you know, like, why should you have to support yourself as you're, like, to hold space for yourself, to support yourself, to heal through your own trauma that you're experiencing? Like, like you owe it to yourself to, you know, like, work with somebody. Um but yeah, like, because the micro stuff is going to show your body, it is safe, but we still need to address the reason why we feel unsafe in the first place, which is usually a trauma, right? So addressing that to help remove that and to help create new associations for how you're feeling about things, how you're seeing things, how you're relating to things, how your body is reacting to things, that is what like the deeper healing is best for. So, you know, like how I was saying, I realized once I made that connection, I realized like I was punishing, not in a bad way, but I was punishing like my boyfriend. Um, My body was in a sense, like all men are this. So now my boyfriend has to like (laughs) um, be the person to like help me end that cycle, I guess, or like he, he's not the cause of it, but he's getting the effect of it. Right. So Um, that was something that I realized that it's like, it's not him and it's not me. It's just my body is triggered by men in general. So I need to work through that thing or multiple things that led me to get to that point so that I feel safer, um, around men or more in control of myself around men so that it's not like I'm not in control of my feelings and my emotions that I understand why and how to cope with them and how to, help them because when we ask sometimes like it's just as simple as asking your body what it needs so if you're like listening to this or you've tried things and you're like this is not working for me um I don't really know like some of these examples didn't really work for me if you can do the practice of getting embodied learning how to become like to be in your body in the present moment and you can ask your body what it needs um it will answer you it will 100% answer you. Um, Similar to how we do inner child work, like your inner child will speak to you. I do a simple practice of breathing, closing my eyes, and then putting my hands on my heart. And I address my body and I literally ask out loud what it needs, what what it wants, and I can give that to them. Um, Usually it will respond in the way that your intuition normally works. So I will hear what it needs um, and, and I will feel sometimes what it needs. So that's another way that you can do this is like, what do you need right now? What do you want right now? What can I do to, these are examples of questions you could ask, like, what can I do to help make this feel safer for you? What can I do to help you heal or move through this or release this, right? Like, these are other examples of ways that you can work through this. Um, And, you know, (laughs) I don't know why this came to my mind, but working with beings to help you remove this aliens are really good for like helping you remove um, trauma in your body but yeah some people they work with their guides and with their um you know other beings that they work with by just asking them can you help me heal this so like that's kind of like energy healing stuff with somebody um aliens can do that like some people's spirit guides can help them do that like in the dream world um so it doesn't need to be so cut and dry I usually talk about like more 
human ways you can do it <laughs> but there is other ways to do it so don't I guess I'm just saying this like so it's like don't feel like you need to only do it in these ways I just I give examples because not everybody is the same and not everybody's level of what they're going through around safety is the same and that's important to acknowledge that if you're trying these things and it's like oh, still not working for me like that's okay you need to go at the pace that's best for you and you need to not you know like I said in the beginning removing the pressure because that's the second you remove the pressure it's going to happen faster so like just be patient with yourself um yeah so hopefully this episode was really helpful for everybody again if you would love to I would love it if you would love to <laughs> leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify um I like super freaking triple quadruple love it if you join the patron I really want to have like a growing patron community I'm gonna you know I have big visions for the podcast hosting retreats um having fun merch and things like that bringing on like bigger guests maybe even doing live shows with guests um yeah so um let me know how this podcast found you and until next time bye if you love witchy and weird podcasts support us by donating monthly for as little as 99 cents at anchor.fm slash witchy and weird slash support you can cancel at any time and 100 percent of the proceeds go directly to the pod or if you don't want to commit to a monthly donation buy amanda a coffee at ko-fi.com slash wishy and weird to help fuel them while they record edit create and upload content for the podcast and if you're feeling extra generous leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify and tell your witchy and weird friends about us too bye